Christ Community Church is called by the God of all grace for the transforming of life in Middle Tennessee, spiritually, socially, and culturally. Through the power of the gospel, from Franklin to the nations of the world, all for the glory of God. For more information, visit ChristCommunity.org. Okay, so this this last sermon is the title of it uh, is so what that's the title of the sermon. So what? So what? Okay. <laughs> All right. So let's look at the so what. Let's look at the passage, Luke chapter five, verses seventeen through twenty-six. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat, threw the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, just ask that you would bless this passage, this story, make it come alive to us that you would bless the people who are listening, both here and those who are listening online, that we would see Jesus, the one who is the very image of the invisible God. We ask it in his name, amen. So since April, we've been talking about being with Jesus. And my whole goal was just to simply keep Jesus in front of you. This is his church. You are his people. This is all about Jesus. As important as senior ministers are and as church buildings are and as staff, all those things, they're about Jesus. So I just wanted to make the main thing the main thing, okay? Because I need that in my life. It has, I have to keep returning 
to that simple place over and over and over again and trying to live from that kind of simplicity. In Jesus, we live and move and have our being. We've seen Jesus this, these past months, gentle and lowly, the word made flesh, the lover of losers, compassion in his guts, walking on the chaos, coming unglued in the garden and making that garden, that grave into a garden by his very blood, by his very death, by his very resurrection. And therefore, re-enchanting reality with the hope of a new heavens and a new earth. So what does it mean for you? So what is this? For you to be with Jesus. How are we to be with God? Three things. First, come as you are. Come as you are. Second, come boldly. Third, recover all. Come as you are, come boldly, and recover a sense of all. We find that, find those three things in this story. So let's look at our first point, come as you are. To be with Jesus, so what? The sermon series, how do we be with Jesus? What does it mean for us to be with Jesus? It means for you to come as you are. This man is paralyzed. Probably paralyzed most of his life. And to be paralyzed then was to be a beggar. To be destitute. To be seen by the Jewish community as cursed. A cursed, paralyzed beggar at the mercy of others. And paralysis, it really is a picture of the human condition. To be totally unable to move. That's a picture of the people of Israel. The story of the Bible is a story that is always impossible. It is always been about utter impossibility. What God is doing is impossible from day one, and you and I are in ourselves impossible. We are spiritually paralyzed. We are spiritually dead. We cannot do anything apart from him. And so if you like trace the story of redemption, the story of, of Israel all the way back to Abraham, that God makes his promise to send a rescuer into the world that through his seed, Galatians 3 said, singular, his seed will bless the nations. This promise was given to a very, very old man and his old wife, and they were barren. So right out of the gate, this is bananas. We can miss that. It's impossible, as impossible as this man sitting on his mat. And then they wait and they wait and they wait and Sarah laughs because it's hilarious because it's absurd. It always looks absurd to the eyes of the world. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way he's designed it. 
And so she gives birth to Isaac, and his name means laughter. It's just hilarious. You go through the story from step by step, and then comes Isaac, and then comes Jacob, and he is this rascal who wrestles with God. And then the story of Israel, all the way as it spreads out, is just one oftentimes violent and even gross story of idolatry and disobedience the whole time, basically. I mean, David, which was the time of the golden age of David and Solomon of the kingdom of Israel, David, a man after God's own heart, was a murdering adulterer. So how is this promise to that God makes in Genesis chapter 3:15 chapter 3 Genesis 3:15 how is it going to come to be through absolutely paralyzed broken people and here's the point it's just so much dust and stuff kicked up all through over the, throughout the age, pages of scripture and I want you to think that's us All our dreams, even our nightmares, our list of regrets a mile long, our habits, our hangups, all of us trying to get back home and we're just thrown into a world that seems to always win. And this story shows us, just show up as you are. Just come as messed up as you are. That coming in contact with your own paralysis, your own spiritual poverty, here's the thing, that's the only doorway to God. The only doorway to God is a circuitous dumpster fire of an existence. That's the secret. All you need is nothing. Now, like, there's a part of us, the religious part of us, the performing part of us, the strategic part of us, in us that's going, there's no way. That's the opposite of everything that I've ever thought. And that's why Jesus was murdered. Because the good news is so scandalous. The good news is so outrageous. And that's why the Pharisees and the teachers of the law hate what Jesus is doing. The Pharisees and the scribes, they're crowded in to listen to Jesus. And they are irate that Jesus likes this guy. They're livid that he says, your sins are forgiven. They hate it. They hate that it's that simple. They hate that it's that free and that it's that beautiful and that it's that glorious. And there's a part of us that always hates grace. Because grace takes away all your control. Grace takes away your mask. You can't wear a mask and believe in real, radical, scandalous grace. And there's kind of a warning in this passage. The only real way to miss Jesus is to hold on to your righteousness. The only way we can really miss Jesus is to hate how gracious he is. That's the, that's like the greatest danger in the, in the Gospels. The, the true one warning is the refusal to admit how much you desperately need saving. And it's an odorless killer. 
because it looks really good. And you can fool people for decades, especially and most dangerously yourself. Think about these stories. If you were following along these past months, think about where Jesus has gone to the woman at the well, to people with leprosy, to the demon possessed, to the disciples who are always confused and full of doubt, who are totally messy, to someone like Peter who denies Jesus three times with cursing that he doesn't even know Jesus. And he becomes the disciple of the New Testament. The two pillars of the New Testament were a former terrorist, Paul, and a denying coward, Peter. How much clearer can it possibly be? What God wants to do is he wants to show the world his grace, his love, and his glory through your failure. What does it mean for you to come as you are? right now. Like, I'm gonna think about that this afternoon. I would encourage you to not do that. I would encourage you to think about this right now. Why? Because you're here. Do you realize that an iceberg, I actually Googled this so it's accurate, <laughs> you only, we only see 10% of an iceberg. The other 90%, don't see? In other words, there's only 10% of yourself that you even see and 10% that you show. I think we're like icebergs. And here's the good news, is that when the Son of Man came into this world, the second person of the Trinity, through whom all things are made, who has an exhaustive knowledge of everything, who's actually reading their thoughts, God sees the 90% of your iceberg. He knows you infinitely and exhaustively, comprehensively right this second, 1103, 36, 37, 38 seconds. Right now. Right now. And he loves you in the face of everything, all of it. Come as you are right now in your heart right now. It's when we, it's when we push up against it, against it consciously, present, it's when we push up against it presently with our present desperation, with our present fears, with our present guilt, right now, not putting it off. When you, when you encounter him in those spaces, in the moment when you realize how good that could actually be, that right now, God, right now, God loves me. Right this second he accepts me. You might even feel your heart soar in the moment because it is outrageous. Someone says that that's too good to be true. One theologian says the gospel is too good not to be true. Come as you are. Come as you are means you can die like this. Do you think you're going to be worthy of God's presence when you die? Have you, have you going to tie up all the loose ends when you are ushered into the great presence of Yahweh that you're going to be okay, that you're going to, like, like, like me, like you're going to keep putting, pushing off a paper to the very last minute, that somehow you're going to take some sort of spiritual sort of like Listerine and wash your soul off and show up? I mean, purgatory at least makes sense in that way, right? 
Like, give me a couple hundred years, we figure it out, right? But no, you die and immediately you're, you're in the presence of the Lord, who's always seen the whole 100% of the iceberg. And he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. How can he possibly say that? Because to be with Jesus means he's never seen you apart from your union with Jesus. Your life is hidden in Christ. And so when he looks at you, he sees you as perfect, as perfect as a second person of the Trinity. Come as you are. Second, come boldly. Boldly. We see that in this story because this is the big, the crowd is, they're in a house and it's crowded can't even get in because Jesus, his popularity is growing and the Pharisees and the scribes are really important people. All have these, they're all seated around him. You can imagine this packed house, a packed house and Jesus is teaching. And these people bring, these, these guys bring their friend on this mat. They're carrying this man on this mat. They cannot get in. It's too crowded for them to get in. Now here's what I would have done. I would have gone, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. I'm not, I'm not on the inside again. I don't belong. And I'd be like, you know what? Let's just wait. We'll wait till a better time. We'll wait maybe till Jesus comes out. Maybe after supper, we can go back up there. Hey, see, here's the thing. Most of my Christian life, and maybe some of you are this way. If you're not, just give us a break for a second. But I've lived thinking I'm terminally unique. Here's what that means. I've lived most of my life wanting to be one of you. Like, how can, I f- how can I feel a part? How can I feel like, surely, like I am somehow a special case to all of this. I mean, it's one of the reasons I went to seminary because somewhere in some old book I could find out, no, you're not a special case. I never found that book. Always feeling I'm on the outside. So some story like this, I would have gone, no, 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 no. This would have just reinforced the fact that the gospel's for other people. And I bet you half of you think that too. Guys, for some other people. I wish, I, I don't know. For some reason, I can't connect it. But not these guys. <clears throat> As a proud citizen of the state of Arkansas. This is a very Arkansas thing to do, what they do right here. <laughs> They're like, who does this? Let's tear a hole in the roof. Are you okay with this story? That is inappropriate and reckless and disruptive. Look what these guys do. They just tear all, and so people's a house, a, a typical sort of common house in that day would have had a flat roof because they put like things on the top to dry out. They would put food and things like that to dry out and you could actually sit. And in a nice tent, if, it, if the roof was large enough, you could even sleep when the weather was nice out on the roof. And there was mud, fat, sort of these tiles. And so they climb up to the roof. And, and here's the thing. This is not like something that people like, people commonly dug in the hole, dug holes in people's roofs. That was very common. That was, it wasn't common. It was bad. So they go up on the top of this roof with this friend. You can imagine this friend's going like, this is going to be interesting. What are, 
And here is Jesus, the Son of God, teaching in front of the most important, powerful religious leaders in the community. (laughs) That's happening at this moment. Like, what was happening was they could hear, like, something that, like, was digging, like a digging sound, like a breaking sound while Jesus was teaching. And then finally, little by little, pieces of roof would have been mud, dried mud and thatch stuff would have been falling on the crowd and onto Jesus while they dug the hole in the roof. I would have been like, um, excuse me, excuse me, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, sir. Excuse me, can you please... Um, this is inappropriate. Are you, could you please stop digging a hole in the roof while I'm teaching? I thought about this. This is not, not Presbyterian thing to do. <laughs> this is not decent and in order, right? And so there are dust and chunks of roof in their den. It's a total mess. It's mayhem. Jesus standing there with pieces of roof on him and he loves it. (laughs) He he loves it. He absolutely loves what is happening. And this guy's then lowered down. They lower him down in the middle of this room full of people. And there he is being lowered down right to the front of Jesus sitting. Then he's just right at his feet looking at Jesus. Can you imagine that moment, how awkward that would be? Like, I, here I am, sir. Here, hello. And Jesus looks at him and he says, and I looked at the Greek, actually looked at the Greek, and here's literally what it sounds like in the Greek. Man, forgiven you, the sins of you. That's what he says to him. Man, I see all the iceberg you can't even see. And I forgive you of every single thing that you have ever done and everything that you will ever do forever and ever. You are totally finished with sin. It's totally canceled completely. Forgiven you. You know what this says? To come boldly, venture on him, venture wholly, let no other trust intrude, as the hymn goes. It means to go at Jesus in a way that seems disruptive to you at first. It means to go at Jesus in a way that seems even reckless, in a way that seems inappropriate, and you're crossing all kind of lines. How dare you? If you start feeling that, how dare you do that? What this story invites you to do is to do something as crazy as dig a hole in the roof to get down to Jesus. No matter who you are, with all your impossibility, with all your sins, with all your regrets, every single bit of it, faith goes at Jesus boldly. He's inviting you to come. Not to be like tiptoeing around because of your guilt. 
Not to be sort of holding it in until you can kind of get over your shame or your loneliness or your anger or whatever that is. Come as you are and come boldly right into his presence. This week I was shooting pool at the Common Center at Vanderbilt with student. And as I, and by the way, I say that as though I'm good. I, I, I disgrace the game of fool. I'm doing horribly. I am horrible. But I'm playing with another student, and, there was a, and then there was another student sitting on a couch watching us. And this student is from probably my favorite program at Vanderbilt called Next Steps. Next Steps are for special needs students, and they go through four years, and they get an, they get an education so that they can learn to have a job and then ultimately live on their own. It is a glorious program with the best students. And one of the Next Step students was sitting there just watching us, watching me play terribly at pool, smile on her face, eating a sugar cookie that was this big. <laughs> and on her T-shirt, it said, loved beyond measure, Ephesians 3.18. And so I was just sitting there shooting pool and she was sitting there watching us. And I said, what does your shirt say? And she just lifts it up and says, while she eats her massive snickerdoodle. And I said, loved beyond measure. I said, are you loved beyond measure? And she went. And it says, God's looking at me, Richie. Yeah, you are loved beyond measure. You just are. You are. She is. We are. It's the meaning of all of this. And it made me think of a, a quote by Brendan Manning. He said, here's what the kingdom's like. It's a child, like a child, you just come, you don't try to get yourself into this right way of feeling spirituality to get into the kingdom. He says, you just take the cookie. And as I was sitting there watching this girl wearing this t-shirt that said love beyond measure as she's eating this sugar cookie, he's like, just take the cookie and tell the people to take the cookie. Come as you are and come boldly. Let me tell you, if you held a sugar cookie up in front of a kid, guess what they're going to do? They're going to take the cookie. Here's what we do as adults. We go, what is your motive with the cookie? <laughs> the Christ community in this new season in this next season, as Randy comes and leads this church, in this next season, go home to simplicity and take the cookie. We have made it way too complicated. We've gotten in our heads and we have lost the joy of our salvation that is that free and that wonderful the way God says, unless you take it like this next step student, unless you, you will never enjoy the kingdom unless you enjoy it like that. Boldly. Hebrews 4 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. With, with boldness, with confidence. Think about going to my Meemaw's house in Magnolia. I've told you a lot about Meemaw. 
but I never ever once knocked on her screen door. The back screen door that was dented in, no one ever knocked. You just heard it, boom, because she wanted to feed you. And she couldn't wait to get you at the table because we'd have lunch and they called it dinner. And it brought her joy. That's your God. Your God takes joy in loving you and in forgiving you and in being with you. He enjoys it. So open the screen door. Stop knocking and walk right in. Stop playing nice with God. Even if you don't get the answers you want, keep going to him, keep going for him, keep going to him constantly over and over and over again because he loves you like that. I know your mind says he doesn't, but that's a lie. And one day we'll all see we are loved beyond measure. Finally, I think this story teaches us that we can recover all, all. The word all is hard to say because it's almost not even a word. It's just a sound. It is. Awe is the experience of amazement. Something that is awesome is something that is almost beyond description. And that's what's happening after this miracle when Jesus says your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the scribes, they scoff. They call him a blasphemer. They say he does not have the juice to do something like that. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Isn't that a question? Doesn't that echo around? Who is, who is this guy? And he says, watch. What's easier to do? Tell him your sins are forgiven or say, get up and walk. But that you might know I have authority to do both, get up. And here's what happens. He gets up. He gets up and he rolls up his mat and he probably puts it under his arm. And the guy that was paralyzed and just moments before who was being lowered down in the middle of this room of total mayhem is walking out of the room. You can, I, I like to think of him like that, like it's real crowded. So he's like, excuse me, I'm sorry, guy, I've got to, I need to go, excuse me. <laughs> Okay, he told me to go home. He told me, I've got to go home now. He's using his legs. He walks home. He said people were filled with awe. Because it's amazing. Amazement. Here's the dictionary definition of amazement, the feeling of surprise mixed with admiration caused by something beautiful, inexplicable, unfamiliar, and unexpected. That's what happened when God comes to town. When the God who promised in Genesis chapter 315 to remake the world through the seed of the woman and crush the head of the serpent. And what he's done and what he's doing is awesome. It inspires all. Now, awesome, that is a word that I have. I take full responsibility of ruining the word awesome. I say things like pizza is awesome. Pizza is delicious. It is not awesome. Awesome is what happens and what is happening when God goes to the darkest places in your life 
and meets you there. When God goes to the darkest corners of this cosmos and by his death and resurrection is going to make all things new by his power. But right now, to recover all, to recover all, we must long. Longing is what it feels like. Now, if Christianity is, is, is primarily an academic or an intellectual pursuit for you, you have no idea what I'm talking about. God have mercy on all of us because of that. But longing, longing, my favorite word, permit me to be a nerd for just a second, is zensuk. It's a German word that means, this is Lewis, C.S. Lewis's definition, the longing for that unnameable something, the desire for which pierces us like a dagger at the smell of a bonfire, the sound of wild ducks flying overhead, the title of the well at the world's end, the opening lines of Kuba Khan, We become people, curators of Zenzuk, that we live in this world with longing for something so beautiful we can't even put it into words. We become poets. We become singers. We become storytellers. We become people who find the beautiful threads, or as Lewis said, echoes of Eden all around us. We live with longing because there is a sound of something reverberating right to the very center of the world which is the return of Jesus. It's like the first time you ever heard in Narnia, Aslan is on the loose. But right now, together, we groan with longing. We groan with longing. And I'll close with the words of Romans 8, 19 through 20, 21. This is where we are now. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God you can write that at the end of every single day, no matter how hard it was. And that is what's gonna happen. That's the next thing on his redemptive caliber calendar, which is the great restoration of all things. And the Jesus with roof on him, the Jesus that is awe-inspiring, will say hello to you. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would bless your word, your gospel. Would you free it from conceptual religion? And would you take what is true and would you liquefy it so that we might drink it? Would you take it, Holy Spirit, and as the Apostle Paul prays, would you open the eyes of our hearts so that we might see the measureless love of God that we have in Jesus and that we might recover all. We might be people of all. 
as we long to see you face to face. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.